Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 398, Depression to Expression with Scott St. Marie. There needs to be someone to give employees permission. Well, sometimes it needs to come from the higher up. Because people think if I'm vulnerable in a way and it's shown as weakness and then my employer thinks this of me and then, you know, thinks I'm unstable to serve the serve the organization, my job's on the line. So we protect ourselves from talking about the emotions and expressing our authentic selves. It's a form of protection and survival. Normally on the show, I interview military veterans about their civilian careers. My guest today is not a military veteran, but I believe his message and perspective are a great contribution to our community. We talk about two things in this interview. One, mental health, and two, how to get attention for a message you believe in. Scott St. Marie is the founder of an organization called Depression to Expression, where he has impacted over 30 million people with his message about mental health. We talk about this in the show, but I'm always hesitant about this topic, not because there's a stigma around mental health, but because so often we go to an extreme with veterans when we talk about mental health. We talk about suicide, we talk about debilitating depression, and my concern in this is that we alienate the major population of the military community who are not at this extreme, but would still benefit from a healthy dialogue around mental health. I'll share with you that as an entrepreneur, for me, so much of my work is around mindset. Psychology and my mental health play the biggest role in my success as an entrepreneur and my ability to be productive. So all of this is to say, I really believe that today's episode is for everyone. If you are loving life and happy, like I feel right now, there's still something to glean from this conversation. And if you're struggling right now in life or at work, as we all do from time to time, then there's something in this episode for you too. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links and everything, everything that we discuss in this episode, as well as 397 other episodes just like this. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Scott St. Marie. Joining me today in Toronto, my guest is Scott St. Marie. Scott, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thanks for having me, Justin. So I'll give our audience two things. I'm going to give them your bio, but then I'll give them some context for how we came to speak today. So in terms of a bio, uh, here's what I snooped around online. So Scott is the founder of Depression to Expression, where he creates an honest dialogue about mental health as a keynote speaker and workshop facilitator, podcast host, and YouTube content creator. In this capacity, he has reached over 30 million people and counting. Through his company, Scott has dedicated his life to destigmatizing mental illness and helping others take control of their mental health. He pulls upon expertise from his lived experience, but also his many years of experience at Twitter, Ad Parlor, the Canadian Mental Health Association, and the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. In terms of context for how we're connecting, special thanks to Laura Waldman, who made the intro to Scott, and she did so with these words. She said, Justin, Scott is a great friend and someone I truly admire for the work he does, the dedication he has, and the people he has helped through his journey and teachings when it comes to mental health. So maybe just to to make space after that long monologue, before we get into the conversation, Scott, anything to 
add or amend to that that introduction? There's nothing to add. It's it's always awkward to hear a, a a bio about yourself, especially when you get into metrics, you know, you don't want to sound pretentious and you don't want to sound like you're some grandiose person, but it's just been such a pleasure finally getting to this point and, and hopefully getting a positive message out to all the humans listening that will, one will speak about, about mental wellness and emotional well-being. That's great. And for listeners, I'll give you a little bit of an orientation for how we'll likely structure the conversation, though. No promises. Scott and I had just a, a few minutes to chat before we clicked record. And the two pillars that I wanted to touch on was the bulk of this will be about the work that Scott does, because I think that it is relevant to every human on the planet. And second of all, if we have time, I'd love to talk about how Scott thinks about broadcasting his message. And even in our few minutes of interaction, I can tell that Scott and I are cut from a similar cloth. Both of us are fairly private and at least for myself, very introverted. We both do not like social media and yet realize that it, at sometimes it might be a necessary evil to further a message that we believe in. And so and the tail end of the conversation will likely touch on that. And I think that that is also something that's relevant to most of our audience of just thinking about getting word out there about yourself, a cause, whatever it is, and, and how to approach that. So Scott, let's maybe start with a broad opening of what was it, if there was a starting point, what was it that led to the creation of Depression to Expression? There was definitely a, a push and pull factor. You know, I started off, I graduated university with a, uh, a Bachelor of Environmental Studies. I wanted to save the world. I watched that Al Gore documentary. Uh, I forget what it's called now. Uh, Inconvenient Truth. That's right. And I was just like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Let's go. I got to be the change. So I studied that and, and through university dealt with severe depression and, and anxiety that I'd never felt before never experienced these, this kind of emotional pull and, and just like completely lost track of who I was and, and what life actually means. Like it can actually be this uncomfortable, this painful. Wow, this is new to me, man. So after graduating, I, I wanted to go into, into mental health to help others. So that's when I started with the Canadian Mental Health Association. But in that, I got really interested in marketing. And so that, that led me to Twitter. And through Twitter, that led me to more social media marketing, which is maybe why I'm so disinterested in social media now, having worked in it for a few years and kind of knowing the behind the scenes. And in this job of social media marketing, again, there was there was boredom in there, lack of growth, lack of purpose, lack of meaning. You know, I'm just coming into work, pushing out ads for clients and you miss a period on a piece of copy that you're creating for a client. They did lose sleep over it. I'm like, really, isn't life bigger than this? Come on. So I went to Portugal uh, on just a, a trip, went there for two weeks and met some people. And they're like, Scott, tell us about what you do. I'm like, well, I work uh, for the social media ad agency, but I also do like YouTube on the side and I, I create mental health videos and stuff. I've been doing it for a few years. It's really fun. Like I come home from work and I can't wait to post a video. And they say, well, why don't you do it full time? And I said, okay. <laughs> and I got home and a month later I gave in my two weeks and I decided to try this YouTube thing through depression to expression. That was just the name of my YouTube channel at the time. Let's just create videos full time. Let's see how big I can make a YouTube channel talking about mental health. Like, can it actually be done? Are people 
more interested in looking at fail videos and people falling? Probably, but maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something out there for mental health. And there was really no men talking about depression and anxiety and sharing their stories much on YouTube. So I wanted to be that guy. So I quit my job, started depression to expression, started uploading videos, and then thought about public speaking because I went to a few events to learn. I'm like, public speaking looks really cool. Like you're in person and on YouTube, I'm just behind a camera alone. So it's not too fulfilling that way socially. So then I got into public speaking through schools and organizations. And, you know, I've been doing it full time for about three years now. And so we're continuing to reach more people, but the, the in-person piece is something that I find so compelling and meaningful through that human connection of talking about mental health, emotional health. It doesn't matter who the audience is. I go as low as grade four to talk about social media and mental health and even kindergartens to talk about big feelings and, and our bodies and minds. And then to CEOs and CFOs and workers in industries that it just doesn't matter. As long as you're human, you have a mind like these are conversations that we need to have. So that's where I'm at now. That's great. I admire the courage on two fronts. You know, first of all, it's always courageous to leave a secure position and bet on oneself and and start something new, birth something, bring it new to life. But even more so, and as I'm sure we'll talk about, there is such a stigma I think universally about mental health, about depression, about anxiety, about all of these things, and particularly amongst males, I think it's even more stigmatized. And so the courage involved in both of those is really phenomenal. But one thing I'll add is that, you know, in my own experience with men's groups and other personal development work, I've experienced this time and time again, and it still kind of blows my mind every time it happens, that when I see someone who has the courage to be vulnerable, someone who has the courage to say, hey, this is my experience as messy as it is with whatever it is, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, lack of purpose. It almost always liberates something within a group. It's almost Mm -hmm. as if everyone hearing that relaxes, breathes more deeply, they identify with it, they feel more connected. And so I'm just, you know, I'm projecting here, but I'm thinking that, you know, in your work on YouTube, that as you took this courageous stand and started to talk about your experience, I can only imagine the number of people who seen you talk about it. It's like you named something in yourself they might not have been able to name in themselves. And it's just like starting Mm. this opening experience. And I'm curious if that's been your experience as well. Totally. And that makes so much sense. You know, if you create content or you want to open up a conversation about a 1987 Camaro that you souped up, there are so few people that can connect with that experience. But when you talk about something so primal as emotion, emotion that's kept us alive for hundreds of thousands of years that we look to. And yet, yet we hide these things, yet we suppress these things. That's where the name depression to expression came from. I'm like, what I'm doing right now of hiding my feelings and emotions and thoughts and abilities and talents, it's obviously not working for me. So what's the opposite of depression? Well, it's obviously like expression, expressing these emotions, expressing how you feel, trying something new, failing, uh, taking a chance, taking a risk. So by expressing ourselves in these means, and it's so cool that you do these men's groups and stuff and support groups, when you open up that conversation and you're just that one, everyone else nods because they're like, yeah, like totally me too. 
Like, yeah, I, I felt terrible before. Yeah, I, I've, everybody, you can't go through life without walking and running through the mud, man. And you talk to people and it's like, yeah, I felt like totally lost at times. I didn't know where to turn. I had too many options. I had so few options. I was broke. I was I'd like every story imaginable that you're not in a silo. You're not in isolation. So when you have myself or yourself or anybody else who has a discussion about something so common as emotion, it's impossible not to connect. It's impossible. It's actually one of the easiest things for me to talk about because I'm like, oh, the audience will get it. They might not admit it, but they'll, they'll get it on the inside. So it's pretty simple, right? So as lame as it sounds, because this is what we always talk about with mental health. It's like, let's just talk. Let's have a conversation. And you always think, well, how far can that go? Just talking about it. There's got to be something bigger that I can do. And it's like, no, that can be a means to an end is to talk about it. You just said like the relief, the, the shoulders go from up here to your ears to finally falling. There's that relief. That's how we, we can get through traumatic experiences by finally expressing it. And, and the more you talk about it, the more it, you're just running through a script mm. and it's no longer, you're not, not identified with it anymore. It can be removed from you just a little bit. You can walk, you can take two steps away from it to see it and witness it. And it's no longer you. So these are the kind of things that we just need to keep talking about and we're going to get better at it. We're getting better at it as a culture. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I, I've never heard it put that way, but it's like when you express it, when you articulate it, you get a little bit of distance. Like you're no longer the depression, the anger, the loneliness, that you're not that emotion. You're experiencing it. And by expressing it, I like the way you put it. Like you get almost at like arm's length of being able to see it. We've always like, you've experienced it too. And everybody listening, it's like, you have something in your head and you're ruminating, it's cyclical. And then it just gets weirder and worse. Like the self-critical part of you just get, you know, you're an idiot and you're an idiot. And now I am an idiot because I think I'm an idiot. And why'd you do that? I can't believe you did that. And then when you open up and talk about that with someone, sometimes out loud, you're just like, yeah, now that I say it out loud and I see somebody else's reaction to it, how... Now that I say it, yeah, I that is like really putting myself down. And the other person could be like, you know, like you're really hard on yourself. You know that you're like, oh, yeah. And is that useful? Do you think that's doing you any good? Is that type of thinking serving you at all? And you're like, yeah, actually, no. Now that it's out loud, now that we're talking about it, it's out in the open and I'm sharing this experience with someone else. So the burden is shared almost. Mm. The experience is shared. And then you're just like, yeah. It is kind of, it's hurting me. I think I got to break up with this way of thinking for now. That's, that's why we talk. That's the whole basis of talking. It's how we think. You need to talk to be able to think properly. And with the pandemic and everything, I'm not the only one I'll say, but it, I've experienced it, just rumination, not talking enough. Zoom calls that were just for work. I'm like, can I, can I bump into somebody on the street and say, hi, can I, can I hug somebody? Can I see coworkers and just have small talk? And uh, it, it was taken away from a lot of people. So if people are struggling with rumination and overthinking, I would say due to the circumstances, it's totally normal, man totally normal and it's okay. I think that the two pieces that come through for me that I really like the precision in the way that you're describing this, it, it feels to me like one part of it is like getting out of my head, expressing it, like rather than just having this like overwhelming nebulous concept going on in my head, the act of self-expression unlocks something. But then I like that second piece you pointed out where it's like, especially when you're with someone else, they might be able to point out these 
blind spots that we're just so in our head we don't see of like, hey, I just heard you say this and this doesn't make sense. It feels like this. there's this dual benefit to expressing oneself in public with a group, with another human being. And I just want to underscore that because I am such a lone wolf. I'm such a independent person. I don't want to be dependent on others. I'd rather do something by myself. But what you're describing, I can't imagine doing that on my own. Maybe journaling, I get 20% of that value, but there is something so powerful about expressing myself with another human being that has so much more value than me just stewing on it in my own head. Yeah. And you know what? Totally succinct in this summary. Like I should have you, because uh, I'm all over the place sometimes <laughs> with my thoughts and then boom, you summarize it perfectly, Justin. <laughs> yeah. And you're so right about that. And I don't think we give social connection enough credit in a society that almost breeds narcissists now. And that's not to say narcissistic personality disorder, like a mental illness, but where we're so obsessed with the self. I know nothing what it means to be serving for a country and to be in the military. I don't know anything about that. And I would never pretend to understand and anything a veteran is going through and the memories and thoughts that come with that. Like, I have no idea what your experience is like, but hell, I would listen. Oh my God. And, and the act of that, when you find someone that is open to somebody else's experience and is so non-judgmental that you can tell them anything. And I think a lot of us, we search for that our whole lives. And you're lucky if you find one person that you can say the most politically incorrect thing you can mess up big time in your speech. You can put other people down. You can put them down. You can say maybe what you don't even mean at the time. You can tell them your deepest and darkest secrets. And through my coaching and stuff, when people come to me with depression or anxiety, I, I tell them whatever you're feeling, whatever you say, like, that's okay. And that, that boom, shoulders drop. Like, that's okay. Feel You feel like you, you don't want to be here. You feel like life is way too heavy. Existence is too heavy. The thoughts are too much. That's okay. We'll start there. We'll start there. So it's really, really important that people have someone that they can trust. There's an underlying need for trust and security and safety. When we have these conversations, I think people are better at it than they think. Like people think that you need to see a therapist for everything. And I'm sure there's, there's roles for that. But a lot of people in my experience, they're just looking for a friend. They're just looking for someone that can understand and listen and not even give advice. A lot of us are like, here, I got a problem. And then we don't want someone to be like, okay, this is what you do. Eliminate gluten, gym three times a week, get rid of dairy, <laughs> journal three times a week, do gratitude. Like, no, we just want someone to hear us. Like, the, the whole piece of my talks to corporations is the reason people are dealing with more anxiety now than ever before. And I think depression is, is, is loneliness. And there's huge physiological effects for people who deal with loneliness. And one is anxiety because loneliness isn't the absence of people. It's the feeling that what you do and share doesn't matter to anyone. So put that in the, the mind of a veteran you know, to think that nobody understands me. Nobody knows where I just was. Nobody knows how it feels to go through what I went through. That's loneliness. You can be around, you can be in New York city around a bunch of people, but if they haven't served, that's why your podcast is so cool. Both of them. That's why it's so cool. Cause you're creating a community where people get it. And every human being is looking, whether you deal with depression, anxiety, looking for purpose, meaning, you just want to find someone that likes Hot Wheels cars and collects Star Wars action figures. I don't know. You want to find someone that gets you. That's we're all on that journey together. So talking about emotions is one way where we all get each other. 
I think it's so great because like you said, when I think of the more meaningful conversations I've had, it is rarely that the person gave me advice or gave me the missing puzzle piece. Much more often, you know, I've had experiences where someone was like, they say something, I'm like, oh, I don't even remember saying that. Like I was so, you know, in it describing what was going on. And then they told me something I said that was like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize they said that. And it moved something for me. I've had these moments where someone just kind of like reflects back what I said. And it's just, that's all I need. I don't need the advice. It like helps me come to an answer. And I, I think that that depressures the job of the listener. You don't have to prescribe. You don't have to solve. You just need to listen. And the other thing that you said that I really liked was the way in which it sounds like you're giving people permission to feel whatever they're feeling. And I, that's it's okay. Like, that's okay. Yeah. 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 Like there's so much power in those words. Like that's okay. And I notice in myself how much anxiety I have in this moment in time, even bringing up vaccination and wearing a mask, there's part of me where I'm like, I don't know where this person stands on a very divisive issue. And I have tension around that. And, you know, politics is 10 times worse. But what I like about your saying is like, let's not put so much stress on saying the right thing. Let's just make it more acceptable for like whatever your experience is right now. That's okay. And it just mm -hmm. allows the nervous system to relax a little bit rather than like having to feel a certain way. Yeah. And you know, you're absolutely right because you start with where a person is, like in any situation. We don't need to go back to your childhood right now. We don't need to go back to all these different memories you have. Like, where are you right now? Like, okay, we're sitting in a chair. We're having this podcast. You're in Denver. I'm in Toronto. Let's bring it back. Let's breathe a little bit, right? Like people need that kind of centeredness when, when our thoughts are all over the place. And what just saying like, that's okay, does is a lot of us feel like we shouldn't be feeling what we're feeling. We shouldn't be thinking what we're thinking. If you've, you're dealing with post-traumatic stress and you're like, why am I still having the damn thoughts? Mm -hmm. It's been five years. It's been 20 years already. And that resistance and that hate and that self-criticism of ourself only makes it worse. Mm -hmm. But when we accept ourselves for who we are and what we've been through, there's so much power in that. And, and we can just relax with ourselves a little bit, you know, and we always look to, to other people, you know, I, I don't care if you voted for Donald Trump, you didn't vote, you voted for Clinton, you like Biden. I don't care where you lie politically. You deal with the individual for what they're feeling and what their story is and what they're going through. That's something we can all agree, but we have these ideas of I can't talk to this person because who they checked on a box and what their political beliefs are. And like our beliefs are all the same and our needs are all the same. Every single person, you and me, Justin, we have the need to be loved, the need to be understood, and the need to belong. Those are huge psychological needs, huge. And when those aren't being met, like we're feeling lonely and we don't belong anywhere. We don't under, nobody understands me. And I feel like I can't be loved. Well, of course, we're going to seek out people that are against us and, and, and feel angry and frustrated. And we feel like the system's against us. And we feel like the world is coming down on us. But when we can meet those psychological needs, which is why, again, the veteran podcast and, and, finding people who have been there, that is huge for the psychological need of being understood and belonging and feeling like you're part of something that everyone's searching for that. Everybody. 
I appreciate that too, because it's like, even if you're on diametrically opposed sides of whatever the topic is, it, it's like humanizing. Like we both need the same thing. We both experience the same emotions. And I want to delve a little bit deeper on depression. And one reason I think that, you know, I'm so excited to have you on the show is that my experience, at least in the military was, so I think in society at large, mental health, uh, depression, therapy, all of these things are minefield. There's kind of like this stigma, but even more so in the military. So, you know, long time ago when I was on submarines, we had our psychological eval and it was understood by me. And I believe by everyone else going through it, it was like, if they deemed you not fit, if you said the wrong thing, you're not going to be able to serve. And we all wanted to serve. And so at a very young age, you know, psychology and mental health and all of these things were like, wow, this is a serious red flag that if I mess this up, it will remove me from serving my country and being there with my friends. And so I feel like we've taken what's already a stigma and exponentially increased it, which is one of the reasons I was excited to have Scott on the show is like, let's talk about this more. Let's talk about this more and normalize it. And so I'm curious, you know, I'm kind of being very broad here. You can take this how you want, but it's like, what do people not know about depression or what do they misunderstand about it or mental health? Like what are things that people listening likely might be a blind spot or might be a misconception about this? The depression varies from person to person. Like some describe it as, uh, you know, uh, you're living in black and white. There's a, you know, there's a, you're dragging around a, a black dog with you. Uh, there's other things like the saturation in life is turned down. There's a rain cloud overhead. And when I hear those descriptions, I'm like, damn, that's not that bad. Because the way I describe depression, that what I've been through, which is why I empathize so much with anybody going through that, is imagine waking up and every single morning you get a call and you say, hi, everybody you love, your family, your mom, dad, brother, sister, they've all died. And you live with that grief for the entire day. And then the next day, the next morning you wake up, you remember the call, you get the same call. Like that is unbelievable torture and absolute hell on earth for people dealing with depression. So if you know somebody and they've been diagnosed or, or they believe they're depressed and, and you wonder what they're going through, just imagine that they just got news that their entire family's dead and put yourself in their shoes and try not to cry. Try not to give them a hug. Try not to think about them all day long. Try not to give them a call. Try not to comfort them every morning with a text or before they go to bed say goodnight, have a great sleep. Because the one thing that can bring us out of that for bereaving families and, and parents and people who have lost ones in that sense is healing through community. Can't do it alone. It takes a village. It doesn't just take a therapist. You need to you need to have the community to have your back. So when you're talking about these psyche valves and and you know in the military, if it's stigmatized, well, what does that do? It makes us feel even lonelier if we're dealing with that. And what does someone with depression, with that definition, need more than anything? They don't need to be like, okay, go to the therapist, take care of your thing, and when you're ready, come back. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. They're coming back to a place that wasn't inviting in the first place. Yep. It created distance already. So it like, I remember, oh my God, it was like the hardest and most beautiful moment for this individual that I knew. I was a residence assistant at the university I went to, the University of Waterloo. And this first year, uh, I'll just call him James. This first year got news that his, his dad had passed away. 
he's 18 years old. His dad passed away from cancer. And I got everyone together in the, on the whole floor of our residence. And we all went around him in a circle and we all hugged him. We all took time and he was just bawling, crying. <laughs> I always cry when I think about it. It was like, it was so powerful because that's what community's for. That's what everybody else is here for. It's like, you can use a military example. It's like, you're going to leave your buddy down. Like you work as a team, you work as a unit. You're stronger as a team than an individual. There's times where you need to be the lone wolf and go on your own and get things done. But there's in times of healing and times of need, when it comes to mental illness and depression and post-traumatic stress and anxiety, you need to have people that you can trust, people that are there for you no matter what. And I think that's what we need to communicate to people that you can't keep distance about these things. That's what leads to suicide. You can't. The thing that helped me the most is like, I had all types of modalities by my side, but a friend texting me every single morning saying, I'm thinking about you every single morning. And I didn't have the energy to respond. I didn't, I didn't want to respond. I couldn't, but they did it every single morning. So if you're helping someone, don't expect a response. Don't expect a thank you. Do it because, do it because it's the right thing to do. It's such a beautiful example. You know, that person at one of the most acute moments of grieving in their life. And then just to have this circle around them, seeing them, touching them, being there with them, comforting them. I think that's like, it's just such a beautiful example of like the power of connection and community and how healing that is and how vital that is. And especially when you and I are talking right now in this moment in history where we're so, as a society, so you know, six feet away separated from people at, at least. You know, it's yeah, right, just kind of like, right. we're coming from so much isolation. I think we were talking about that right before we clicked record of like, man, like how it's such a reminder of how much we need each other to be around each other, to be seen and to be heard. And I, I love that. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about the expression part of your work and, you know, what you talk to people about how to express or why to express or where to mm -hmm. express. Yeah. Well, back to depression, like it is a, a form of grieving. It can be said like depression's a, a kind of emotional response to living in a world that shouldn't be the way it is. And you're expecting something else and you're grieving for a life that you don't have, you know, and I can totally relate to that, especially when you're feeling that way already. You're like, it shouldn't be this way. Why am I feeling this way? And it's really confusing and you need people to help you navigate that. You can't navigate that stuff alone. So again, with the expression piece and organizations and, you know, managers, especially they need to be the ones to set the example. Just as you said, you know, you almost need to be given permission. There needs to be someone to give employees permission. Well, it, sometimes it needs to come from the higher up because people think if I'm vulnerable in a way and it's shown as weakness, and then my employer thinks this of me, and then, you know, thinks I'm unstable to serve the, serve the organization, my job's on the line. So we protect ourselves from talking about the emotions and expressing our authentic selves. It's a form of protection and survival because we know that, well, part of those psychological needs are safety and security, and that comes from our job. So what if we, like the constant, what if, what if, what if I express myself? What if I'm my true weird and wacky and messed up authentic self and I'm not accepted? And what if my boss doesn't appreciate that? What if I tell my boss that I'm dealing with depression and I don't know what the heck to do and I just feel terrible? Do they know how to deal with that? Are they going to know what to say? Are they going to say, you're okay, give me your two weeks. 
you know, like you can't be here when you feel like that. There's fear in that. And that goes for kids and for parents who have kids to, to accept whatever comes their way as that's okay. It shouldn't be another way. It couldn't be another way. It is what it is right now at this very moment. That's what we deal with. We deal with where they're at. So as far as parents, they need to do this. As far as managers and CEOs and bosses, they need to do this. And then the community needs to do this. It's a constant give or take. I feel like if I'm feeling terrible, because I'm prone to low moods and depression, my own experiences, well, then I need to lean on somebody. But then when I feel good and I'm ready, then I then someone else can lean on me. That's about creating boundaries and, and when working your way up and leaning on each other as we go up this, the beanstalk. So the expression piece, it's, it's such a risk, you know, it definitely is. I guess it needs to be the right place at the right time, but it's really, really hard in a culture that invites you to be the lone wolf hustle culture, entrepreneurship, go, 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 Gary V, get it done, uh, you know, constantly work, don't go socialize, just put in the work now so you can be free later. When this is the message to kids and adults, it's like, it's no wonder we're struggling. What's, where's the priority? Is the priority some success? Is it money? Because the priority definitely isn't community. And that's really the expression piece. It's expressing through community. I, I never connected those dots. I've always been triggered by this this hustle mentality. I think it's so so toxic and pervasive. But I never connected the dots like you just did. That it's like at least the way I hear that message around hustling. It is isolating. It is work more, stay in the office later, work all the time, which can from the most people I think be very isolating. And what I'm appreciating about your message, especially for our audience, is that my belief that everyone is, that is listening to this podcast is a leader in some way. They are a leader in the military, outside of the military, in their family, in their community. And I think that's such a great message of like, it starts at the top and it starts with the managers and leaders giving permission for people to be themselves and to be experiencing whatever they're experiencing. And I hope that's a theme that listeners take away from this is like, because I get nervous sometimes when we talk about depression, because I know that there's people who are listening where that's relevant, but I don't want to alienate the people who don't identify with what you described. Like, well, yeah, I didn't wake up today feeling like everyone in my family passed away. What I hope that everyone hears is that like, you know, we're talking about an extreme here with depression, but even no matter where you're at on the spectrum for that, there is so much profound truth in what Scott is sharing here about connection and community and leaning on each other and being able to be leaned on. Yeah, I hope that comes through. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but this sense of like all of us can contribute in a meaningful way here. Yeah. And you know what? The thing that I never really got within myself is that we do something like called comparative suffering where it's like, oh, so your definition of depression is that, but mine's this. Everybody's worst is their worst. Yeah. You know, you can't compare to that. If, if your worst is uh, you dropped your mug and it was your favorite tea mug and you had that and then you broke down. It's like, yo, whatever, man, that was your worst. Yeah. That was your worst moment in life. Why am I going to judge you thinking you didn't have a hard life and now your mug broke and you're breaking down? That's not me to judge. That's not for anybody to judge. Your story is your story. And we need to respect that. And we need to respect that we're all individuals with our own stories, with our own past experiences. Nobody experiences the world like you do. Nobody knows what it's like to be you. That's why it's so cool to be your true authentic self because it's like, 
you're never going to happen again. Like, this is you. You're here, man. Like, this is it, right? You don't owe it to anybody, to be honest. But if you want to, it's up to you if you want to express who you truly are. And when you do that, it's uh, pretty damn freeing. I think that's great. I definitely am guilty of that comparative suffering. It makes me think, you know, there's this moment in early on in our conversation today where you said something like, Hey, like I'm here, Justin, we're talking, we're in this room. I like immediately felt in my body. I felt just so much calmer, just this little act of like walking into the moment. (laughs) And, um, and I'll link in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. I'll link to Scott's Ted talk. and, And you touch on this a little bit there about the present moment, but I'm curious any thoughts you have about like, why is it important for us to be in this moment rather than in our heads in the future and the past? Like, why does this moment right now between us matter? Yeah, that's such a great point. That's one I struggle with because I read every self-help book known to man and it actually did a (laughs) disservice to me after a while because you're like, I'm overthinking everything, man. Like, am I not doing enough? Am I not happy enough? Do I not have enough? Okay. I got to do like, you know, you have so many tools. I should be doing the gratitude thing, the meditation thing, the yoga thing, the therapy thing, the exercise thing. And I burnt out. Like, that's it. I burnt out with self-improvement. When it comes to the present moment, we can so overthink that too. It's like, what do you mean? I can't plan for the future. And, and, but what if the past like brings me comfort and there was good camaraderie and I had fun times? Should I not be thinking about that? Like, so we put pressure on ourselves, like be in the moment. Oh, you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. No, no, no. That doesn't matter right now. Go back to the moment. Like, no, I got to plan a little bit, but in times of, you know, stress and worry, when we think that these thoughts aren't benefiting us, that's when we're like, okay, you know, we can get so locked in to where we're going to be, what we're going to do. And it's so weird because it's impossible to know how you're going to react, who you're going to be, what you're going to say in a future moment. Like you're not there. You can't plan for how you're going to feel five months from now when you go to this and this event, when everything's open in Toronto, I'm projecting how I'm feeling now to an event in the future. So if I think about, if I'm really sad right now, and I think about me going to Chipotle in line and there's people with no masks and everything's open, I'm projecting my sadness into that moment. So I'm going to be sad in that line. You can't create a happy you while you're not happy. Does that make sense? So the point of the present moment is to acknowledge that what I'm doing in projecting myself into the future when it's not useful, it's not doing me any good. If I'm ruminating about the past and keep going over scenarios, there's a few cognitive tricks. One that people may find beneficial is when I ruminate about the past, I ask myself, you know, and you go through the same scenario over and over, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, what if I did it that way? What if that? And then I just keep going over and over. Was I in control? I wouldn't have done that now. How the hell could I be so stupid? And I ask myself, what are you looking for? What am I looking for? Because I've gone through it a million times in my head. What am I looking for? Am I looking to change it? I've gone through it. I, I've, I've gone through every millisecond of that moment. What am I looking for? When we ask ourselves that question, it's almost like, well, I don't think I'm looking for anything. I think, I think that script is over. Mm-hmm. I think I've gone through it enough. And of course it will come back, but we just, we can ask that question to almost, almost invite ourselves to, to take a breath and calm down, right? Mm-hmm. Questions are really, really important. And just like if we're thinking about the past or future, we can ask ourselves another question. Is this useful? And you ask yourself, okay, is me thinking about where I'm going to be two years from now? Is that useful? Is it making me worry? Yeah. Is it, so is it useful? No, it's not serving me. It's not useful at all. Most of the thoughts we have, they're not really, really, really useful. 
they are when we plan and when we have to prepare and this and this, but those are two little tricks. And when it comes to the present moment, it's really, really cool to, you know, we're so detached from our bodies. We forget them. And we all know about the mind gut connection is huge now. And to kind of lock ourselves in just from time to time, just to do a little check-in with some deep breaths, you know, whoever's listening, uh, you Justin, like focus butt on the chair, back against the chair, feel your feet. And we haven't noticed our feet throughout the whole podcast until we bring mm-hmm. our attention there. It's like, Hey, there, there are my feet. You know, it's these things to ground us when thoughts get a little too much. It can just be a quick technique. Some people, if they're, if they're really dealing with some stress from the past, you know, you, you get two ice cubes and you put them in your right and left hand and squeeze those, you know, it brings you back to the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Fairly quickly. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> because they fairly quickly, because our thoughts become pretty heavy. So it's the whole point of the present moment is to, to lock us in, see what is happening right now, non-judgmentally. That, that's what it is. I really like that. It's as you were saying that I'm realizing like, man, I'm, I just spend so much of my time in the, you know, 5% of my body that is my head and it's yeah, brought yeah. awareness to my feet and my butt and my, you know, ever, all of those things. It's like, oh yeah, I got 95% of myself out there. I'm not in, in contact with right now. And I think that those are great practical exercises that you gave. I'd never heard the ice cube one, just different ways to, to reconnect with our body. And, you know, so much of my time is, is spent fantasizing about the future or, you know, reminiscing about the past rather than just, yeah, being more grounded right here. It's hard. Um, like, I'm it not, not going to say, yeah. sit here and be like, yeah, I figured it out, everyone. No, I think I fantasize. I think about, I worry about the future, where I'm going to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been in lockdown a year and a half. I'm freaking out about, you know, when things are open, what am I going to feel when I'm in a restaurant again with hundreds of people? This is, this is nuts. But, you know, the hardest thing I think to do for a human being um, is to let go. And that's really like, life is just a process of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we have to let go of so much and we hold on and there's certain things you can let go of and certain things maybe you shouldn't let go of. But the present moment is is there for us to acknowledge that we aren't only our past and we're not yet our future and who we are in this moment right now is enough. Like that's what self-improvement doesn't really talk about. It's like your best future self is in the future. Your best self is out there. Once you do the exercises, once you do this, then you'll be the you that is the best version of you. There's nothing wrong with self-improvement. But again, remember, we have to start with where we're at and where you're at right now. Me, Justin, everybody listening is like, we're enough how we are right now. We're enough. I think that's so great because it's like, the thing that bothers me with hustling is everything is put on the future of like, I am working towards this rather than like celebrating, like I'm the the person who is digging deep to build something he believes in. Like rather than coming back to the present moment of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be as efficient as I can right now, or I'm going to be as happy as I can right now. It's putting all the, it's just front load or putting all the weight on the future and some achievement that may never come rather than the characteristics that might actually lead there. And I love the way that you said that too, that it is the hardest thing for us to let go. And that's such a beautiful thing. If you're able to, you know, you said letting go of the past and the future and just being in this present moment, acknowledging how you feel is, is really beautiful. One yeah. more thing too, um, yeah. you know, the letting go piece. And I said, there's some things that you don't, and maybe shouldn't, 
depending on who you are, let go of like passing of loved ones and people that, you know, like, I don't think you should let them go. Mm. I think they can be beautiful reminders and still have a place in life, you know, and people think I got to let go. Like it was 10 years ago and I'm still thinking about my friend and I should be over this by now. And this is the grieving. This is what we don't talk about as a society. You know, we always want structure, like the five steps of grieving, right? Mm. We want structure to our feelings, which is really unfair, you know, and grieving. It's like, okay, the last step is acceptance. It's like, what's after that? They're still there. Thoughts still come up. I still love them. So there's certain things where like even the words letting go is a lot of pressure on a person. And I don't think, uh, again, it depends on the individual too. But for me, there are some things that I'm not going to let go of that are close to my heart and experiences that are close to me that I want to keep there. I love that. I love that. I know we're towards the end here, but I just want to ask one question about any advice you have or things that have helped you around broadcasting a message you believe in. And and like I said at the start, being someone who doesn't like social media or who might not like being in the spotlight, anything that's helped you at furthering your message or getting past those maybe aversions to, to putting yourself out there even? So there is no automation at all for being on YouTube for the last eight years. It was all me. Every edit, every camera setup, lighting, every tagging, SEO, everything imaginable was all me. It was exhausting. So it was literally just video by video, answering comment by comment, helping person, one person at a time. But I guess if I were to do it over again, I don't know if I would change anything. I have a, a physiotherapist and he was talking about uh, how he's never advertised in his life that, you know, this is different online than in person, but he just said something really cool. He's like, all I do is I, for the last 20 years, he's been a physio. All I do is take care of the person on the bed, do the best possible job I can. And the future takes care of itself and client referrals and all this. It just takes care of itself. You do the best possible job you can in the moment and things seem to work out. So I just focused on one video at a time, spreading a positive message, an authentic message, one that I wanted to hear when I was struggling that I couldn't find. So I wanted to be my own best friend to pass Scott. What would Scott wanted? What would I have wanted to hear when I was in the depths of depression? Those are the messages I send to people. So as far as getting the message out, yeah, it started just YouTube. I joined Instagram so late like in 20, like 16 or something. I'm like, I guess I better do that. But the biggest part was YouTube. And then I started the podcast a few years ago, but it was really through collaboration with other people to see if we had aligning messages, if I wanted to have them as as guests. And then with public speaking, it was all just referral, like be a best friend to a teacher, give them all the attention, do the best possible job to the students or to the company. And then people automatically spread the word. Like, have you heard of this guy, Scott? He talks about how life is shit sometimes and uh, it's okay. And so the word kind of just spreads like that. That's so great. You know, tying it back to Lauren Waldman, who made our introduction, one of the, you know, images I had in talking with her was the surgeon who, you know, is doing surgery and they they put blue tarp over the body and they only have this little tiny piece where you can see and that that focus on one thing. 
And I love what you said about this thought of like, you know, whatever I'm doing right now, let me just blow this out of the water. If, if my task right now is to check email, let me give that my full devotion and do my best at responding to this email. And now, you know, my next task is I got to have this sales conversation. How can I be as present with this person as possible and just do my best? And it feels like that is such a great recipe for success of just moment to moment doing the best job you can in that moment that will lead to great things rather than all the scheming I do at times or the futurizing or the hustling that yeah. I get sucked into. Well, Scott, let me just end with this then. I, I just appreciate uh, your time, your advice, and I just really am grateful for the work you're doing in the world. It's such a powerful message and to hear that you're doing it one video and one comment at a time just speaks to your devotion. How can people follow you? How can they support you? I really appreciate that. They can go to depressiontoexpression.com. That's my website where you can check out the work I do with, with coaching one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. That's where my podcast is, which I'm currently taking a break from. That's where all my social media links are. You can learn about my speaking there too. And, and I'd love to, to hear from people if they have any questions, but yeah, it's all depressiontoexpression.com. Or if you just want to Google it, that's where everything comes up there too. That's where they can find me. Great. And I'll put links in the show notes as well to Scott's TED Talk and a couple other resources I thought were really helpful. Thank you so much for your time today, Scott. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. Surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.